Well, good morning, beloved. It is a joy to be with you and to certainly to be with you regardless, but I'd certainly be with you today as we break the word of bread of life together. And uh, always a wonderful privilege and honor to stand at this sacred desk and bring the word of God to you. Just a, a word about the gift that you have received. We are a biblical people, and we believe in moderation. So if you do eat a piece of candy, just one right now. I don't want you to have a sugar crash and fall asleep on me. Okay? So just one, that'll, that'll give you just enough to get through for our time together. But um, anyway, no, it's a joy to be with you on this wonderful Lord's Day and as well to celebrate honoring our fathers. Well, take your Bible that I pray you have brought with you this morning and turn with me to the book of Joshua. The Old Testament book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. It will be a familiar passage uh, as we look at uh, verses 14 16 today. Joshua chapter 24. If you go through the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you come to Joshua. Turn there and look at verses 14 through 16 with me today. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 16. Word of the Lord says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. May the God add His blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. Beloved, what do we do when a choice is not an option? What do we do when a choice is not an option? When making a choice is not an option? Sometimes we find ourselves in situations throughout life where choice is not an option. In other words, where circumstances merit themselves in such a way that because of who we are, or because of the position we are in, there is really no choice in the matter as to how we react. For example, how many stories have you heard from those serving within the armed forces during times of combat? Combat situations, whereas decisions of course, must be made, but later on when they are interviewed, a phrase is used, something like this. Maybe they were pinned down or maybe one or two had to go in into an impossible situation and you hear from the soldier later the phrase, well, it wasn't an option. We had to go. There was no choice in the matter. The same could be said of our men 
and women who serve in law enforcement. When a situation of such a capacity arises that action must be taken, and the person is interviewed later and the phrase is mentioned, well, it wasn't an option. We had to go forth. We had to do what we had to do. Or what about, heaven forbid, that you are ever faced with the situation of someone who is threatening the lives of your spouse or yourself or even your children, and you defend yourself, just as the Scriptures command you to do. And later on you are speaking about this instance, as horrible as it would be, you yourself would probably use the phrase, it wasn't an option. The choice to fight or flight, no, it wasn't an option. I had to do what I had to do. What we are describing here, beloved, is that who you are dictates your response to this situation. Well, this brings us to today's passage. And that while it is familiar to many of us, I probably... As the moment that I said Joshua 24, many of you immediately knew where I was going to go. I mean, who hasn't seen this passage or at least phrases of it on a wall or in a store that can be bought? It's on plates, it's you name it, it's everywhere. Tapestries and the like. However, that while it is familiar to many of us, I want you to know, beloved, that it actually does not mean oftentimes what we think it means. As we observe the text in just a moment, we're going to come face to face with what it looks like when, as the people of God, choice is not an option. You see, the nation of Israel had been delivered by God through Moses. Moses' successor, Joshua, had assumed leadership for quite some time now, and Israel had been very successful under his reign, under his leadership. Joshua is now in the final years of his life, and he issues a command to the nation. And in our passage, Joshua has called the families of Israel to covenant renewal and to put away all other gods and to serve the one true and living God. What we will come to see in this passage applies to the church today. But especially this day. Yes, it is the Lord's Day, but as we've already been mentioned, we've talked about that today is a day that we have set aside and to honor, to remember, talk about fathers. We call it Father's Day. And yet, unfortunately, as if you were here Wednesday night, you heard me say that this Sunday is one of the least attended Sundays of the year which should be troubling to us. This day, this passage, beloved, needs to be a clarion call to the church as a whole, yes. But especially to the men of the church, myself included. Church, as the people of God, we are to put away all other gods, For that is the only way to serve the one true God. Now, our text requires a little background. 
And uh, it can be gathered by looking back at chapters 23 and, and chapters 24. And, and really just specifically 24. You can go back and read 23 as well later. But what I want you to see is that Israel is in the midst of covenant renewal. And God is reminding them in chapter 24 of three things that He has done for them that has led to their establishment as a nation. So if you would, just, just turn back maybe one page or it may be right there on the page that you're on and look at chapter 24, uh, look at verses 2 through 5. It said, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they, they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led them through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. What is God saying to them and reminding them of is that God made them a people, first and foremost. He took someone who was not His people and He made them their people. Well, God continues. Verses 6 through 12. I'll read just a few of the verses. It says, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. The Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. Then if you go on down, you'll see... uh, Verse 11, And you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. What is he saying there? He's saying, firstly, I made you a people. Secondly, he said, I delivered you from slavery. I delivered you from the hands of Egypt. I delivered you from the the strongholds of all of the other pagan nations that were around you. And then finally in verse 13, look what he says. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Third thing, it says that God gave them land. Look at all of that for just a moment, beloved. God makes them a people. God delivers them from slavery. And God gives them a land. What a glorious work of the grace of God. He calls them out. He delivers them from bondage. He has given them a home. Does that that sound familiar? It should. As children of God, as believers, as the saints of God, as His church, that should sound as familiar language to us. Why? Because He plucked us from the power of darkness. He plucked us from sin and death and from the slavery of hell. And He delivered us by His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And now, after delivering us and setting us free from the captive of sin and death, He has given us a home whose city and whose builder and maker is God. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. Do you see that today, beloved? Do you know that you deserve death because of your sin, that the wages of sin is death? 
And believer, that you have been plucked from the depths of sin and hell and you have been given new life. You have become a new creature in Christ and because of the work of Christ. Unbeliever here today, do you know that you can be given life by trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, by placing your faith and dependence in Him and walking in your way or walking in His way, turning from your sin? I hope this all sounds familiar to you. As one pastor said, the gospel is the good news that God killed His Son so that He would not have to kill you. Beloved, that is the deliverance that each and every one of us share today as the body of Christ. We've been set free as a people. And we praise God for that. And as we read about in Sunday school today, Abraham, along with Isaac, and now along with Joshua, understood a form of that. Because it was not about the physical land for them. It was about a land that they looked forward to, whose city and whose foundations and maker were from God. They looked to an eternal home. But beloved, as we look back at our text here, what we need to note is that what is significant in chapters 23 and 24 is not simply what Joshua is saying, but who Joshua is addressing. I wondered if you caught that. Look back in Joshua chapter 23, verse 2. Chapter 23, verse 2, in the first aspect or first half of the covenant renewal, it says, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and spoke to them. And in the second half of the covenant renewal, chapter 24, verse 1, look at what it says. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. He is addressing the men of Israel. This is what Joshua is doing. He is addressing the men of Israel. Of Israel, And look at the language that he uses in chapter 24. As he talks about or, or recounts to them through the word of the Lord what, what God has done for them, he talks about your fathers lived beyond here. Your father Abraham did this. Your father Isaac did this. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and I did this for them. Your fathers, your fathers, your fathers. He's talking about the covenant line that has been passed down now from generation to generation. He is reminding them that just as God has led their fathers in the past, now He alone is to lead them in the future. God and God alone. Joshua is reminding them of everything that the Lord has done for them and how God has specifically called these men to be leaders of God's people by being the leaders of God's people, their tribes, and their families. Church, if there ever was a truth that we need to be reminded of today, it is this. God has ordained for His people, the church, to have leaders. Amen? And these leaders come from men. 
Amen? Well, what kind of men? The Scriptures tell us men who are leading their families. But that is not what is of most importance. While it is true that God calls the leaders of the church for men who are leading their families, what is of most importance to us is that God has called all men who have families to lead. Well, to lead what? Their families. Families still have leaders. Amen lights. Families still have leaders. Look at what the text says to us today in verse 14. Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. Joshua commands them to fear the Lord and to serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Why? Because of all that the Lord has done for them. Because of everything that the Lord has done for them, Israel should be desirous to sincerely serve the Lord. In other words, they should want to. It should be within their heart. It should be their desire to serve Him. Understand, this is not a matter of obedience because of fear. In other words, we're walking around, cowering around, waiting for the sky to fall in judgment with just the least little slip. No, but rather this is an obedience because we do fear the Lord. And the perfect illustration for us comes from the Scriptures. As the question must be asked as we look at this text, well, wait a minute, why are we in covenant renewal in the first place? Why is Joshua having to stand before the people today and call them to renew the covenant before God? Why is he telling them to put away foreign gods? Well, because of previous failure. Think back with me for just a moment to the book of Deuteronomy. Think back for that for just a moment. Everything that was happening in the book of Deuteronomy. Israel is emerging from the wilderness and now they must begin preparations to go to the promised land. What is the one thing, what is one of the first things that God tells them to do? He tells them this, Keep my commands and teach them to your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We call it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We are to teach these things to our children when we lie down, when we rise up, when we're standing at the gate. Wherever it is that we are, we are to teach our children the commands of the Lord. Why? Because if they don't, they will become like pagan nations around them. See, beloved, God says that my people must be holy. And so He commands them to teach them about holiness, which is simply discipleship. That's all that is. When when you teach someone about holiness, you're discipling them. And He even gives them a promise within the command that speaks 
like this. It's, it's actually restated in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says this in Deuteronomy. He says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Think about that for just a moment. A promise from God from His commandments. And we need to realize that this is corporate and and not individual. This is not just talking about us as an individual person, that if I keep the commands of God or that if I honor my father and my mother, that I'm going to live a long life. That I'm going to die when I was old. No, this is corporate stating in the matter of regards to your family and regards to our family. This is something that we need to understand today. Did you know that the fifth commandment is the only command that comes with a promise? The only command that does that. All of the others we are simply commanded to do and that's it. Think about this for just a moment. And I, I do love Vodibachum's explanation of this in modern day language when we think about the Ten Commandments. He says, think about commandment number one. I'm God, you don't get another one. Do I get a promise with that, Lord? Nope. Just do it. Just obey it. Commandment two. Don't make anything that looks like me. Do I get a promise with that, Lord? No. Do it. Commandment three. Don't mess with my name. Do I get a promise with that one, Lord? No. Just do it. Commandment four. Don't mess with my name day you mean we still are to honor the Lord's day yes it's what we're doing right now do I get a promise with that one Lord no do it obey it and the fifth commandment says honor your father and your mother and with that you have a promise that command you have a promise What is that promise? The promise is, if you raise your family my way and in my name, I promise a faithfulness in your family that will outlast you and even your children's children. What a promise from God. Amen? What a promise from God. Now no, it is not a promise that everything is going to go smooth in our family. (laughs) Amen? It's not a promise that every one of our children will serve the Lord. But it is a promise that if we seek to honor our father and our mother, which means not only are we honoring our father and mother in the Lord, but we are teaching our families in the process to do the same. The promise is you will leave a legacy of faith that will be from generation to generation. Beloved, Israel had strayed from doing this. 
And Joshua is now calling them back to repentance. And he says, you need to do this. But you need to do this because you want to. Because you are convicted from your heart and from your soul to do this, to honor the Lord and to serve Him. Because you are truly thankful for all that God has done for you. Fathers, it is our responsibility and ours alone to disciple our children. As the father goes, so goes the family. My question for you today is, do you fear God? And if you do, does your wife know it? Do your children know it? Are you serving Him through purposefully leading your family and discipling them? Are you intentional in this regard? See, just as with Israel, as it is a picture of salvation for us, Israel looking forward to us today as the church, Christian Father, we need to understand that God has saved us by His grace. That Christ has delivered us from the slavery of sin and death and that He has seated us, as we said, in heavenly places, in the kingdom of the Son of His love. He has blessed us with a family. He has blessed you with a family. An institution which He alone created to be, catch this, the stability of the society. He gave you He gave you the title of father because we would not know that title of father were it not for the one true father He gave you that He gave you that Father, did you know that it was ordained of God that your child and that your children be given to you? Have you ever asked why? As Christians, as a church, we believe this. We believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? Amen. In other words... God promises that when my word is preached, when my gospel is proclaimed and and shared with others, I will send forth my spirit to change hearts and grant faith, opening eyes and hearts that will respond in faith and call out to me as Lord and as Savior. We want to see people saved. We preach the word of God. And the spirit goes to work. Here's a question. What if God by His grace saved you, Father, so that you could preach the gospel to your offspring that He ordained you to have? You ever thought about that? You have been given the unique privilege by the grace of God. God has entrusted you to give the words of life that can set your child free from the bondage of sin and death and hell. And yet, why, oh why, would we ever entrust anyone else to do that? Father, 
fathers, and I preach to myself, it is time. It is time for us to lead. It is time. You are not insignificant as society would have you believe. You are not simply someone who brings home the bacon and even now we get chastised for doing that. You are not simply a provider. You are not just simply somebody who makes children. You have been divinely placed in your role by God to be a missionary to your children and to your grandchildren. This is true evangelism, not what we've come to know. But rather, this is the biblical model of Titus 2. And by the way, this is not just your physical children. God has placed us in a faith family. We can have spiritual children. Amen? We are to reach out to one another. Men of the church, we have been placed in a role to lead God has placed this before us. This is where as a church we apply and we live the commands of Paul to Titus that the older must teach the younger. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard. Why? Because as Joshua goes on to tell us, We have gods. We have gods and we have two types of gods. He describes them as the gods of our fathers and the gods of the Amorites. In other words, keep doing what you've always been doing or do what you see the world doing. Did you catch that? The gods of our fathers, keep doing what you've always been doing or the gods of the Amorites start doing what you see the world doing. What does that mean? If we keep doing what we've always been doing, we abdicate our responsibility. If we start doing what we see the world doing, we give up our masculinity. The result of the former, because there are results, there are consequences for both already. And we're seeing them in the church today. We're seeing them in society today. What does it look like to abdicate our responsibility? Now anyone can be a pastor, man or woman. We just decided at the Southern Baptist Convention that we're going to research that to see exactly what is a pastor. That is abdicating our responsibility. What about doing what we see the world doing? Giving up our masculinity. What are the result of that? The result is that anyone, man or woman, can be a man or a woman. We don't know. Or something else. There are pronouns now beyond even normal pronouns. This is what happens. 
The problem with both is that if the parent and especially fathers are absolved from all responsibility to disciple, that the parents and especially fathers are absolved from all responsibility to disciple their families. Beloved, but I want you to know that the Word of God does not see it that way. Ephesians 6 tells us this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the admonition or the instruction of the Lord. Now, here is where we misconstrue the text. Remember I mentioned that earlier. Here's where we make Joshua say something that he's not really saying. The text does not say, choose today who you're going to serve. God or all these other gods. The text does not say that, beloved. The text gives a command based upon who you are. For those that fear the Lord, put away all these false gods. Period. No choice. But if you don't fear the Lord, Joshua says, make up your mind. Are you going to do it the way you've always been doing it or are you going to do it the way society does it? Pick one and go do it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting us to us, beloved, is that for, for the believer, for the, for the man, for the father who fears God, there is no choice in this. We must fear the Lord. Joshua states this as such, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> so what is he doing? Wait a minute, what about, what about the wife? What about the children? Don't, don't they get a shot in this? What is he doing? Is he, is he asserting some sort of male dominance and belittling everyone else in the family and, and lording it over them? No, he is serving as protector and provider of his home. Yes, but he's also serving as prophet and priest. Hear me this morning as prophet. He is proclaiming to the world in his household that the one true God will be their God. And as priest, he will be the one to stand in the gap and be the image of God the Father to his family. That's what we do, dads. I'm not saying we do it perfectly. But that's what we are called to do whether we want it or not. Don't you see? We've dabbled in idolatry for too long. We've not fully given ourselves over to God's way. The problem is that if we are who we say we are, Christians, godly fathers, people who fear God, then a choice is not an option. By the way, this is not just for fathers. This is the church. Because we all serve a role. Notice again, Joshua, he's addressing the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. It starts with us. If we are Christ's followers, then we have no choice but to affirm with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua even says that to try and have it both ways acknowledges that it is evil 
in your eyes to serve the Lord. Remember commandment one? I'm the only God you get. There's not another one. Jesus Himself reiterated that when He said you cannot serve two masters. So what's the call? What's the call? Have you, Father, made that declaration? Does your family know it? Can they see it in you? Can your church family see it in you? Can your, can your faith family, can your other brothers and sisters in Christ see this in you? Can the world see this in you? Again, we need to understand that we are leading whether we want to or not, whether godly or ungodly, we are displaying an image of God. We're displaying what God is like to our families, whether, whether right and biblical or wrong and unbiblical. We're displaying in that image. But if so, if you have made that declaration or, or by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of Christ today, we, you, you long to make that declaration. There's three things that I would call us to today. Us. Us today. And I know this is heavy. But I'm sorry, I refuse to bow to a world and even an evangelical world that tells me. Now preachers, if you spoke nice about the mothers at Mother's Day, don't you be hard on the fathers. I'm sorry. That's how men speak to one another, Amen. That's trying to get rid of our masculinity that God Himself has given us to be strong when we need to be strong and to be sacrificial and serving when we need to be in that regard. So three things I would call you to today. Firstly and foremost, that we repent. That we repent that we come before God and we repent before Him for not leading. That this becomes before all the other details. That this, becomes, that this comes before Titus. That was my initial intent is just to preach through Titus 2 that we've walked through. But no, this is, this is for us of true repentance before the, before the Lord. That we repent before God. And confess our sin of abdicating our responsibility. Of becoming comfortable among our family and not leading. We would repent before God. Secondly, that we would attend or excuse me, that we would make attending Lord's Day worship and family worship in the home a priority. A priority. That we would do that. And thirdly, that we would grow in the grace 
and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we would have a desire to do that. Again, the details will work themselves out. We can get that. We've got the Word of God. But this is our call. And again, for us to understand that by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, that is the only way. Through the cross of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, His blood covering us and representing to us as perfect before the Father, and in our sanctification, through the power of the Spirit, we can change our home. We can change our legacy. We can change our church. And even in some instances, by the grace of God, we can change our society. It will be hard and it will be uncomfortable. But hear me, Lord willing, it will be easier for your children to continue. We must walk together. We need each other. Wives, we need you. You are our helpmates. What does that mean? If I need a helpmate, then that means I need help. (laughs) We need help. We need help to do this. Church, we need you. We need help to do this. Do you see? Choice is not an option for the believer. For the believing Father. You are not insignificant. Believe the promise found in the fifth commandment. God has placed you as head of your household and the spiritual authority to your children. When I was very early in the pastorate, we had a church member who used to come up to me even before Jessica and I had children. And he would say, When are you going to start having kids? When are you going to start having kids? Man, you've got to get your quiver full. You gotta, now, he was a spaz, okay? I mean, he was just all the time. you got to get your quiver full. Yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I know, yes, eventually, by God's grace, we will have children. But I mean, what do you mean, my quiver full? And he directed me to Psalm chapter 127. I began to meditate on that. It says this, along with many other things, but it says this little phrase right here. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Understand, beloved, that's the purpose of our children is that we raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We raise them up as fiery arrows to be flung, to be directed and to be shot into society, to be the salt and light that is on this earth. That is the purpose. My desire is not just for fiery arrows. I want to raise up heat-seeking, devil-chasing gospel missiles that can do more for the kingdom of God than I could ever imagine. Families still have leaders. No matter what the world says, men, may we begin today To fear the Lord and serve Him by faithfully, sincerely, and unashamedly, no matter the cost, leading our families.
Let's stand together.